Doc Talk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of all flex livestock intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. Hey folks, welcome to the show. We're going to have a good one today. A regular on Doc Talk, Dr. Matt Meisner will be joining us, and we're going to talk about dehorning. We're going to talk about some of the things that this is something that seems so common but yet so many things that just little things that we can talk about uh, to do the job better and it'll always be good with Dr. Matt so stay tuned. Hey folks welcome to the show. We've got Dr. Matt Meisner. Dr. Meisner is the section head of livestock services over at the vet school here at Kansas State University and he is a clinical professor um, what are you, you're boarded in? Internal medicine, in the large animal internal medicine part of it. So, yeah. But in the livestock side, we do it all. Um, cutting as well as uh, giving injections of antibiotics, that's for sure. Yeah, well, Dr. Matt has been one of those that he can do it all, and he has taught so many students, but he has provided so much service for cattle men and women around the area and nationally. Um, just a, a somebody in our profession that is humble, works hard and is always trying to get things done better and so we just appreciate you for all you do. We're going to talk about dehorning and so let's start into why do we cut the horns off? I think probably the biggest reason that we're going to still have to do it um, is mostly safety and not just safety for uh, people, um, safety for that individual. Um, it limits their chances of getting injured, possibly getting infections and things after that. It limits the chances of injury and bruising and um, uh, problems that happen with herd mates or pen mates within a feedlot or even on pasture. Different things that are going to lead to that. Um, you know, when they become a source, even if it's not a catastrophic injury, that could be a, a minor injury that leads to a major infection. Uh, there's a big blood supply in these horns, and these horns go directly to sinuses. They go um, directly to kind of that. Uh, subcutaneous area, they attract flies, you get maggots, you get a whole uh, slew of different problems and of course that leads to uh, major medical problems that we can get into. It seems pretty minor but um, see it happen all the time. You bet. Well, you know, the, 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 the other side of this, if they get too big, they just can't fit in our system. Right. Right. I, I, I see that when they, when they have to do this to get through the chute, um, it's not comfortable for them or, or for us. That amazes me is how well they seem to have little feelers out there when they're easing through a chute, but you know, if they're rushing, running through an alleyway and uh, break a horn, gosh, uh, that's ugly. <laughs> yeah, when you see them get their head down and throw their head back saying, I hope I fit and yeah. go fast. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about, you know, the different types of, or meth not necessarily the methods, but we've got disc budding versus dehorning versus tipping. What are, what are the differences in that terminology? So when we talk about how we're removing the horn and the stage that we're removing the horn, mostly we can talk initially about the disc budding. And as these horns develop, as the calves are born, um, that horn is not attached to the skull. They've got some cells that are going to produce the horn, kind of like the stuff that produces your fingernail. And as that matures, that's going to attach to the skull eventually. It's going to start kind of protruding out from the skull itself, and that's where these sinuses come in. But early on, we can disrupt just that bud or that initial horn bud, and that's called disbudding. 
later on we're going to have to dehorn, meaning that these are going to be more mature and all of these things are going to develop and um, those become a more um, more involved process and certainly there's a, a bunch more tissue that we've got to remove. But it's more of an age thing. Breeds are different, um, so it's really not a timing. Um, it's more of a, a, an individual. Yep. And then the tipping? Tipping, then it's just going to be taking the tip of the horn off. Okay, limiting blunt it, also to make it a little bit narrow to get through alleys and things. Cool, kind of like clipping our fingernails. Yep. Perfect. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the different methods of dehorning with Dr. Matt Meisner. You're watching Doc Talk. Thanks for joining us. Hey, folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Matt Meisner. He's the section head of livestock services here at Kansas State. University's College of Veterinary Medicine, where he also serves as a clinical professor, seeing cases, teaching students, and uh, lots of referrals, lots of local work, um, but just a great resource of information. So let's talk about some of the different uh, methods that we can do some of these different. Sure. Well, and we talked a little bit about uh, what timing and how what we're actually going to be removing. So early on is better, I think. Probably you could even start back to say it'd be ideal if you could um, add some pulled genetics to the herd and limit some of that. I think I saw a number, gosh, was it the last 20 years? I think we went from what, almost 30% horn to down to 8%. Yep. So we're so getting there. Getting there. So when it's possible, we can do that even in the dairy side. Um, but I think the plan is to do it as soon as possible. Certainly not going to be as practical in some large cow-calf operations, but on the dairy side, we can do it really quickly, um, and we can get to that bud before it becomes a horn, before a bunch of tissue gets involved. And there's a couple of different ways to do that. Um, one, there's a caustic paste out there, and it's a, it's a paste that's got a calcium hydroxide, I believe, um, and another one, and you put that onto that bud, and it dissolves that bud. Um, Downside of that, it has to be early on before it develops, and you can't let that calf rub on an udder, uh, rub no. on you, rub on its neighbors, and get that stuff in the eye. So you got to be careful with it, um, but it can be very effective if you use it correctly. I've actually seen people uh, put it on and then tape yeah. over the top, and I was like, what the heck are you putting tape on there? And then they said, so it won't rub off. Yeah. Rub on, or onto somebody else. Or oh, something. yeah, yeah, because it's yeah. caustic. Yeah, it's it's nasty. So, but it works pretty well. It's not without pain. We can talk about that later, but um, that'd be one. Um, then you can burn it off. So we've got different types of disbudding irons that get hot. Okay, as we put that on to the, the bud and we denature damage that horn so it doesn't form horn later on. Um, and some of those can come in the portable ones, right? With right. like butane yep. that'll heat up and I can just keep it in the pickup. Yep. Yeah, and you just have to be careful with those because you can get it too hot and you can actually get the skull way too hot and it can damage the brain. But oh. yeah, they've got different ones. As long as you use them correctly, they're very effective. God, I you never know. even thought about that. And then we've got some of these just kind of physical ones that are kind of a, a gouging type disc butter that we can take off the horn and pop the plug out, which are pretty handy <laughs> again. Um, but a nice small bud um, like those, we can really remove them pretty easily. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of a physical measure there. And, you know, those are early disbudding methods. So we can do those kind of early on and, uh, and get that bud before it really becomes a horn. After it becomes a horn, we start dehorning, and that's going to require some physical methods. So barns type dehorners that we use, um, wire in some cases, 
Um, hopefully we don't get to the old um, <laughs> methods of the keystone type dehorners. Um, these things, I'd like to know the guy that broke this thing, but uh, these are good too. They weigh about 30 pounds, you know, um, but certainly large horns like that. Hopefully we don't get to that point, but um, still trying to get them as early as possible. But. Exactly, you don't have the, the wooden pole extenders on there to get more leverage. <laughs> <laughs> My first boss said he saw some guy knock himself out. There. <laughs> Good. But, uh, um, yeah, you got to be, again, it becomes more dangerous as you have to dehorn larger horns, too. So Yeah. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, you can talk about some of the restraint and some of those things necessary and some of the pain control yeah. and different things. But you're watching Doc Talk. It's a great show. More with Matt Meisner after these messages. Hey folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Matt Meisner. He's the section head for livestock services at Kansas State University's uh, Veterinary Health Center here at the vet school and also a clinical professor. Um, we didn't touch banding before we left. Right, and so the other, some of the other methods we, we've heard about, we listened to is, is using the elastrator bands or the bands that you use for castration around the horn. Typically what you kind of recommend is not doing that. Those bands tend to break. That's still a very painful procedure and it's a prolonged thing. It's constricting that horn. And if you don't get around the base, um, they become rotten and really smell bad. And I've seen some horrendous sinus infections and things from that. So there's better methods don't out there. Don't do it. Yeah, there's better methods out there that we can, that we can use um, in the, you know, any of those. But when we get past the disbudding, we get into that dehorning and, and even with disbudding, um, it's proper restraint, pain control, different things like that, or we're, we're getting better at it. Right. Yeah, I think the restraint, you know, uh, lots of scientific information is coming out, uh, and we can actually, you know, kind of measure responses, stress responses, pain responses, and so it begins with a good restraint, so keeping them confined and, and, uh, and restrained well. Uh, lots of options for anesthesia so we can do some local blocks which do okay so local lidocaine it stops the hurt they still become painful later but at least we can stop the initial stuff there's some methods approved for uh, non-steroidals or um, pain meds after that so meloxicam and others and some great information on that so properly and effectively and legally administering those things are, are really effective at it and when it's practical in some in some ways not in others, but certainly whenever we can apply it, why not? You know? Yeah, well, when we get to that point, and, and I, you know, I, I, people are like, oh, we're getting soft or whatever. Really, at the end of the day, you think about, we're cutting through bone when we're dehorning these cattle. And if we're cutting through bone and we don't think that we should use some sort of block or lidocaine or, or, or anesthesia, I think we're kidding ourselves because not only for the the sake of the animal but probably for the sake of your pocketbook right I, I don't know they go off feed if they if they get a soul bruise i can't imagine what happens how much they go off feed if they if you cut some of their skull off right right and and some of these methods are different than others you know, i mentioned earlier about the caustic paste and actually the local block actually doesn't work as well because the paste has a ph that's weird but the non-steroidals or the meloxicam or some of those things which are very cost-effective um, 
carry that pain control on on out you know so we get um, days after that which is nice so yeah yeah they stay on feed um lets that kind of pain subside and uh they get looking a little bit better a little quicker yeah so work with your veterinarian they all have techniques and methods um you know that that you can utilize and you don't have to uh turn in your uh uh macho card yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. at the local uh, filling station, it's 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 worth some time, and and it really is better for the calves. And I think I'm seeing that just the general trend and clients that I see are really expecting it to happen more and more these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We and and we just get better, right? Yeah. And we get quicker, we get better, we get more efficient, and we understand it better. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the part we don't want to see is the complications. Right. So Dr. Matt Meisner is with us. We're talking about dehorning, and we're going to talk about the complications with dehorning after these messages. Hey, folks, welcome back to Doc Talk. Dr. Dan Thompson here with Dr. Matt Meisner. We're at Kansas State University, where Dr. Meisner serves as the section head for livestock services at the Veterinary Health Center here at the vet school at K-State. He's also a clinical professor and just a great show. Always, it's always good to have you, and uh, it's always going to be uh, really something that we can use and take home. So talk to me a little bit about the, the complications associated with, with dehorning. They all have complications. Um, regardless of the method, you know, um, there are the pace. Certainly those pace can get in areas that are uh, not wanted. So, again, rain and get an eye, they rub it on their neighbor's eye or an udder so you have the pace is a problem um, anytime we're doing creating a wound we have a chance to get infection okay mm -hmm. so the early on those little buds are a site for infection and possibilities we can we can uh, watch for signs of problems with that don't want to get too hot we can cause brain problems we can cause a bunch of other things uh, anytime we have a wound that's a chance for a fly strike so we've got to take proper uh, preventive measures for fly control to prevent uh, maggots and things from setting up in there um, the bigger the horn the bigger the blood supply yeah. so um, though I've never seen one bleed to death um, certainly larger horns it's certainly possible um, you know uh, an ongoing bleed um, becomes a problem and uh, that's something you have to pay attention to so that's early on second the bigger the horn, the bigger the affected bone, more close to the sinus, you get sinus infections. Okay, that can be a deep set sinus infection that can be a problem. You can even see that with just tipping. So even in an early tipped horn, we can have ascending infection through those tips and can mm. lead to sinusitis as well. So we need to watch for signs of infection, try to prevent that, be as clean as possible, as swift as possible um, with good restraint, and then monitor closely after we're said and done. And uh, when you work, uh, you know, if you have SOPs, you can anticipate problems. I mean, cattle with a sinus infection do kind of what we do. They'll sit with their head pressed into the corner going, gosh, this hurts, you know. So you see something like that, that would be a recommend, uh, you know, possibility that you need some antibiotics or something along those lines. So, yeah, do it early. Less complications. There are still some to watch for. The further along you get, the more likely you're going to have uh, big infections if, if something happens. Yep. So on the hemorrhage stuff, we can either stop it by uh, putting some sort of band or ligature around the, the pole. Yep. Um, but the other one, what about um, cautery? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, these dehorn disc butters, oftentimes we're using those as a, a thermal cautery, you know. Um, we can, we can, we know where the major supplier of these blood vessels are. We can grab that, stop that, but then we may just use cautery. You've got blood stop type powders, um, different things uh, that can at least kind of provide a, um, a matrix for clotting. And so yeah. there's lots of products out there. So always, they always said, you know, don't feed your calves in a hay feeder after you yep. dehorn them and turn them out on pasture. And I just figured it was because they probably got just as many infections out on pasture. I just didn't see them <laughs> yeah. up around the house. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you that when you put cautery on the fly spray and alcohol, it's is flammable. So be careful about that. So you have to pay attention to those kind of things. So. Uh, as usual, great information and thanks for being on the show. Folks, this is Dr. Matt Meisner. Always work with your local veterinarian, and if you want to find out what we do at DocTalk, you can find us on the web at www.doctalktv.com. I'm Dr. Dan Thompson with Dr. Matt Meisner, and we'll see you down the road. DocTalk is brought to you by Merck Animal Health. By integrating the comprehensive animal health product portfolio of Merck Animal Health with the innovative technologies of AllFlex Livestock Intelligence, we are shaping the future of animal health, resulting in more effective solutions and healthier animals. They're here, they're hungry, and they can't be stopped with ivermectin. Choose Safeguard when you deworm your cattle to take out resistant parasites like brown stomach worm, cuperia, nematodirus, and others. With Safeguard's efficacy, you can kill more resistant worms in your cattle, so you don't leave potential on the table. Consult your veterinarian for the diagnosis and treatment of parasitism, then bite back at safeguardworks.com. At Daniels Manufacturing, we know that you're not always going to be able to work cattle in a permanent facility. That's why we have designed portable equipment built with the same quality and innovation as our stationary equipment. Our portable equipment can be set up with stationary corrals or just pull the pins and move to a new location. And setting up our portable double alleyways and our all hydraulic portable chute is quick and easy. Keep yourself and your cattle safer with less stress working in the field with our portable equipment. For more information or to find your perfect portable solution, contact Daniels Manufacturing Company today.